I'm Kate Daniels. Heart health, cardiovascular health, it's a subject I feel strongly about, in part because the related diseases combine to be the number one killer of people in this country. We need to take better care of this organ, which is a real workhorse in our body, but to care for it, we need to be better informed. To this end, we have Dr. Jay Cohn joining us this morning. Dr. Cohn is Professor of Medicine at the University of Minnesota Medical School, and he's Director of the Rasmussen Center of Cardiovascular Disease Prevention. And to support our education at our own pace, Dr. Cohn has a new, easy-to-read book, Cardiovascular Health, How Conventional Wisdom is Failing Us. So let's meet Dr. Cohn to learn more. Dr. Jay Cohn, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Good morning, Kate. It's a pleasure to join you. I am so grateful that we have this opportunity because anytime we can really have a conversation about good health is, of course, very important. But even more so than that, how to be proactive, how to look at our health, um, perhaps through a different lens now. Uh, we had a chance to talk a bit about this about a year ago, maybe six months ago. But cardiovascular health, how conventional wisdom is failing us, I think is so critically important for us to really uh, talk about again so that we get this message and become more uh, informed and proactive uh, on our own behalf. Isn't that kind of what our goal is here? Well, it is. And of course, much of what I say is counter to what is being largely promulgated by the media and other professional organizations, because they're so anxious to uh, improve patients' style of life that they think is such a critical factor in their outcome. And I think it is tended to confuse the public into thinking that cardiovascular health is, is something that you can personally control and that the medical therapy is responsible is restricted to people who are sick. And, of course, I have a very different view about this. I think that the whole goal of prevention is to keep people healthy, not to uh, uh, treat them once they've gotten sick. And I think it requires a new perspective that is often not provided by the lay press and uh, the usual media uh, uh, sources. And that's why it's so important that we are having this conversation. So if someone has not actually been exposed to this or hasn't thought about this, then uh, here's a, a good beginning to think about what we can do, uh, really beginning at a young age and understand how uh, really genetics too plays such a role in this. Yes, it does. Uh, it's a very important factor which we sometimes forget about. Cardiovascular disease, which is right there at the top of the things that the disease that can greatly affect our life, uh, ultimately kills so many people, uh, is one of those areas. And keeping our heart health really strong is uh, so important, and that's uh, why you're here with us this morning to help us to understand that. Okay, I appreciate the opportunity. 
And so to begin with, some of this actually, instead of pointing the finger of blame, oh, um, you know, you're eating poorly, you're not exercising enough, those are the, the key things, or you smoke, which probably is less so because people are more aware of that now, but, but certainly the diet and exercise seem to be a key thing. Yes, uh, that has really been the focus, and I understand the rationale for that because that's one thing that an individual can do. Uh, I had an interest, interesting experience just yesterday. Uh, uh, one of my friends, uh, who I often played tennis with, uh, went in the hospital and had bypass surgery on his coronary arteries completely out of the blue. I was unaware that he had been sick or had had symptoms. And uh, he comes back from the hospital after bypass surgery. And I say to him, uh, "Did you? were you aware that you had a high risk? He said, no, my mother had had a heart attack at 60 and my father had bypass surgery done, but I didn't have any problems. I said, how did you know you, how do you know you didn't have any problem? He said, I had no symptoms and my doctor didn't do anything for me. And therein lies the problem. He had clear early disease. It was clearly genetically determined. Uh, His family history was terrible. Uh, He should have been aware that he might have had disease, which could have been treated at an early stage and prevented the buildup of plaque in his coronary arteries that led to the need for bypass surgery. So uh, his sense is that the the time to treat is after you're sick. And, of course, my emphasis is the time to treat is when we discover you have early disease and we need to slow its progression. So it's a different orientation. And, of course, uh, the the lay media would suggest to you that Uh, all you need to do is adjust your diet and your exercise, and that does not counteract the evil effects of uh, genetic inheritance that led to his premature coronary disease. And that is a great story in the sense of really showing that genetic history. One would think that knowing that your family had had this experience there was definitely a predisposition, but he wasn't sensing that, nor did his primary care physician seem to note that. Right, and it's it's a statistical predilection. It doesn't mean that he inherited the gene that led that leads to coronary disease, but he now has a higher risk for inheriting that disease. We see many siblings who come in to be evaluated on our center. Uh, siblings who have, of course, the same family history, and uh, one of them will have advancing disease in need of treatment, the other completely free of disease, no treatment necessary, so that the history only provides you a likelihood, doesn't actually define the existence of the disease that will lead to difficulty. So uh, what we do in our center is to evaluate the early disease, examining the arteries and the heart to document that they're normal or that they're showing early signs of disease. This all can be done non-invasively. It requires no radiation. 
It's largely using ultrasound and functional techniques that define the health of the arteries and the heart. And that's the sort of thing that my friend should have gone through perhaps 10 years ago, discovered that his arteries were beginning to stiffen and harden, signs of difficulty impending a future, leading to a future event. And at that point, of course, therapy would slow the progression of the disease and allow him to live a, a healthy life through hopefully age 100, which is our goal to keep people healthy healthy until that age. And what that would mean in his case or similar cases, because we want to then, you know, put this out to the general population, is that there would be some, the therapy being some uh, med- uh, medicines, pharmaceutical approach that would be therapeutic, correct? Well, that's what we use because that has been documented to favorably affect the course of the disease. So drugs that uh, like statin drugs that lower cholesterol, not everyone should be taking them. Uh, some have advocated that we put them in the drinking water because they're so effective in slowing disease progression. But the only people who really need them are those who have early disease likely to progress. So it would be far more uh, effective if we could identify those individuals and use drugs like statins. Uh, drugs that lower blood pressure, those drugs are not confined to people who have high blood pressure. They're confined. They should be given to people who have early disease in the wall of their arteries because those drugs favorably affect the health long-term of the arteries. Now, I would love to find food additives, uh, uh, nutrients that we could add to our diet that had a favorable effect on on the artery health, uh, we don't have any of those because they haven't been studied in large part because there hasn't been a priority placed on finding therapy that can slow the progression of disease. And therefore, we're using drugs because those have been shown to slow disease progression. These drugs are all generic now, so they're cheap. They should be cheap. And, uh, They should be made available free to people so that there is no disinclination to take them because they keep people healthy and reduce the costs of health care, which are are escalating, as we all know. And it it becomes a, a major problem in our world as those costs escalate. So, again, that brings us to this place that we want to do what we can on the prevention scale. And some of this means really starting early. We can't say that you, you know, it's only in the later decades that heart diseases, cardiovascular disease is going to be the issue in one's life. We need to have these screenings done at a young age. That's the desirable thing, isn't it? Well, of course it is. We can slow the trajectory of progression. We all are born with arteries and uh, and a heart that will age over time. And if we live long enough, uh, we will all have heart attacks and strokes because our arteries age and our heart ages. So we're on a trajectory for... Uh, progression of cardiovascular disease. If that progression is slow, as we hope it is, 
you can live to age 100 without having a heart attack or a stroke or heart failure, and therefore you need nothing to alter the progression of the disease. But if you're on a trajectory in which you're likely to have a heart attack or a stroke at age 60, uh, we shouldn't accept that and we shouldn't wait until age 60. We should identify that individual at an earlier stage and intervene with therapy, hopefully therapy that will improve if we carry out more studies and find more agents which are effective uh, or dietary supplements which are effective uh, I'm all for it because if we can identify them, then we can intervene very effectively at someone in, at the age of 40 or 45, slow disease progression, so they don't have a heart attack at 60. They might be on track to have a heart attack at 95, where the concern is obviously less. So uh, the idea that uh, diet and exercise will slow disease progression has never been documented. Uh, we all use it as, as practitioners. Doctors are constantly telling their patients to lose weight and exercise and change their diet and stop eating butter and eggs, uh, which I happen to think are very good food products. Uh, all of that is based upon hypothesis, not on documentation of benefits. And uh, we put too much faith in what diet and exercise can do uh, because it only can modify at best a, a small bit of that uh, progression of disease, which is largely inherited in your genetic nature. And what is important to note as you say that, Dr. Cohn, is that we look at diet, and you talk about this in the book about, uh, you know, having had a situation where a couple of individuals decided to follow the Atkins diet, which is really pretty strict, but the outcomes were really different. And even with those very different outcomes, there is no guarantee that one was really then so much better off with that particular approach. So really understanding ourselves and, and our history is very key here, isn't it? It, it is. And uh, what we've relied upon in medicine uh, is something that uh, the FDA, of course, would never consider, is we've uh, relied upon historical data and uh, on, on markers for uh, healthy life as a guide to effectiveness of therapy. So if you go on a diet and you lose weight or your blood pressure falls a few millimeters mercury or your cholesterol comes down, uh, the profession has accepted that as evidence that this is a favorable effect on life expectancy, but it is not. You have to document that. And uh, every time a trial has been done, uh, the the most uh, uh, ambitious effort uh, was published a couple years ago in the New England Journal of Medicine, a study in 10,000 people uh, in which they were randomly assigned, which is the critical factor in designing a trial. You take a population and you randomly assign half of that population to an aggressive attempt to lose weight and exercise. It was a high-risk population 
statistically at very high risk for having a heart attack. And uh, half of them were assigned to the most aggressive exercise and dietary intervention that we know how to carry out. And the other half were left to their own devices and not treated. And after uh, 10, 15 years of follow-up, there was, in fact, the, the intervention group did lower their blood pressure a little bit. They did lower their cholesterol a little bit. They felt better. They were invigorated. They were positive about life. Everything was good except they had heart attacks rates exactly the same as the other group. So exercise and diet may be very good for you and improve your quality of your life. But the documentation that that will change the progression of disease and reduce the risk of a heart attack is is not borne out by the data. And so in Minnesota at the Erasmussen Center, you are really focused on this research and people are able to have the tests done that can identify what is going on in their body so that the interventions, the, the, uh, the drugs can be used to really offset the disease, right? Well, that's what our, our, our uh, experience has been. And we have documented that in hundreds of people who have been followed up after they've come in. And uh, we've assigned them, we have done some randomized trials people who have been placed on medical therapy and those who have not. And the group that goes on medical therapy demonstrates an improvement in the health of their arteries and their heart, which we think is, is better evidence that, they've had a, that we've had a favorable effect on disease progression. Now, we haven't proved that yet. We haven't followed thousands of people over many years to document that an intervention will, in fact, prolong life. But the improved health of their arteries and heart means more to me than lowering blood pressure and lowering cholesterol, which really are not the disease process. They're just markers for disease. Because improving the health of of these parts of our bodies prevents the surgery, such as your friend had to endure recently, having bypass surgery, certainly looking at these preventive measures is so much more desirable. Well, I think so. You know, uh, there, there is a general sense that advances in healthcare, like bypass surgery and heart transplant, are, are triumphs of our healthcare system. And I consider them failures of our healthcare system because we've allowed people to reach the stage of disease when they need these aggressive interventional methods to survive. And I think if we only approach this as a preventable disease and intervened earlier, we wouldn't need these advanced management uh, uh, interventions, which are so expensive and so uh, uh, life-threatening and life-altering experiences for patients. And I'm glad you mentioned that in in terms of that being costly. I mean, a life is very precious. But if we can look at that dollar factor, which we know budget-wise across the country is so critical, if we can look at the cost being so much less with the preventive measures, then 
why wouldn't we go this route instead of the costly and life, as you say, life-altering factors of having to do these, uh, like a grandstand performance of these surgeries? Well, and you have to recognize that in terms of the uh, cost and benefit of these interventions, uh, the healthcare system reimburses very richly management strategies like that. Uh, so we have a healthcare industrial complex which wants advanced disease, though they're very remunerative. And obviously, prevention is not remunerative. There really is no great. Uh, incentive for doctors to practice preventive medicine. They don't get reimbursed for preventing disease. They get reimbursed for treating disease. And their orientation is really the management of disease, not the prevention of disease. So we have to change our emphasis in our healthcare system to focus more on prevention and less on advanced disease treatment. That very similar thing was said, um, oh, in a recent conversation, recent, like in the last few years that I had with with uh, a medical professional on diabetes, that the costs of the, the future, uh, all the costs around the care is much more remunerative than doing the early prevention side of it. It, it just is... Uh, it's so mind-boggling that our system is set up this way, and yet we seem to be fighting with it all the time. Well, it's, it's not unique to the healthcare system. We have problems in many areas of our society that we're, in which we're dealing with the, the, the wrong end of the problem. So prevention is obviously something that is, is uh, possible. It's not emphasized adequately. We don't have the tools, and most and most doctors do not have the tools to evaluate disease progression. So we, we need to change the emphasis and change the reimbursement strategies so that they are incentivized. So as an individual, just a regular layperson who wants to really be proactive and, and take charge here of their own life and be healthy, what is your strategy for them? What's your recommendation? Well, I think that uh, until we have available the tools in all parts of the country to provide access to this uh, sort of approach, it's very difficult to tell someone in Seattle uh, what they should do. Uh, there is no program uh, like ours in the, in the state of Washington. We are developing programs around the country in different places that hopefully will eventually make this more accessible. But I think the idea that uh, it is possible to intervene at an early stage, there are techniques that we use which are available individually in medical centers everywhere in the country if they're used properly. So I think uh, what we need to do is activate really the idea that this is, should be done and then these techniques would be made available in various and sundry places around the country, uh, which I believe would be the future for health care. People would go in and have the screening done. It takes only an hour so that the screening is easily carried out. And uh, we have uh, nothing unique in what we do except a, a series of tests that we routinely perform 
Many of those tests could be done in any hospital in the country if there was a reason to do it. So if people demand this, I think it could be made available, and it requires merely uh, getting the uh, message out and getting the healthcare system to respond. We're working on doing that, and of course my book was an attempt to get that message out, and uh, we can only hope that over the next uh, five or ten years it'll become a more widely available methodology. So where information and uh, education is critical here is to maybe here at the grassroots level, we as individuals know that this is important and we start pushing for it and demanding it because at that other end, they're saying, oh, costs are skyrocketing. We can't afford all this medical care of people. Well, here's the, the way to prevent that or solve that problem. Yes, and, uh, you know, one of the first steps would need to be a very carefully done long-term study to document the benefit of what we're doing. And I'm the first to recognize that that has not been yet done. So there's skepticism in the medical profession that what I'm promoting is as effective as I claim it to be, and I understand that skepticism. Yes, we do need uh, long-term follow-up trials to document that Doing the early intervention will actually keep people healthy longer, reduce the risk of heart attack, and make the the basis for that intervention rational. Uh, Those studies haven't been done in large part because there is is no incentive to do them. Uh, There is no expensive treatment available that would uh, incentivize a sponsor to, to pour the millions and millions of dollars required into such a trial. The federal government should be more interested in it, but they appear not to be. So yes, we have to really get the message out to incentivize studies that will document the benefit and thus change the healthcare system. And that's a long-term goal that I probably won't be around long enough to experience, but it clearly is the direction we need to go. The important thing is that you have this vision and you're working on it, and I'm sure that you are mentoring others to be following in your footsteps. Well, we do have a very active program at the University of Minnesota with a lot of enthusiasm, uh, both from the staff and from the patients who we see on a routine basis. And, of course, for really greater understanding about this and information. This book, Cardiovascular Health, How Conventional Wisdom is Failing Us, is one good approach is to pick up your own copy and become more informed. Correct, Dr. Cohn? I would hope so. Yes. And that, of course, available at all of our favorite book sources. And your website. Let's mention that as another really important area to find good information. Yes, uh, cardiovascular disease prevention. That's all one word, cardiovasculardiseaseprevention.org will get you into our website at the University of Minnesota, which uh, provides uh, full oversight of what we do and why. So 
there it is. The information is going to really empower us, give us this vision, and uh, working together. We don't have this here in our Puget Sound area, but boy, we've got a lot going on medically. There are so many people that are doing different kinds of research. Certainly, this may fall upon ears and hearts that have a passion similar to that and together creating this web across the country to get that work done. Well, that's right. And we're working with some corporations, including one in the Seattle area, that are considering adopting our program into their business environment. So there is hope this will spread more rapidly than the most pessimistic view of would suggest. Well, yes, let's be optimistic. Always looking for for hope, and uh, that will drive us forward. That's what we're all trying to do. I think what we cannot continue to pour money into management of end-stage disease. It is too expensive and doesn't benefit individuals adequately. We must pour more resources into identifying early phases of disease when people are still healthy and can do something dramatic to change the course of their disease. Exactly. Well, once again, it's been so wonderful and informative to spend this time with you, Dr. Cohn. I really appreciate your vision and your passion and that you have taken your time with us this morning to help us to become more informed. Thank you very much, Kate. It's a pleasure to join you.